Good morning. Everyone good? Good? <laughs> All right. All right. Well, good to see you guys. Um, we get to start a new book of the Bible. How, how was everyone's new year? Good? Right? Every year it's a tradition. We watch New Year's Rock and Eve and we complain about how terrible it is, but we still watch it. We do it every single year. And this year we flipped back and forth between New Year's Rock and Eve and the Nashville one. Because um, one of our bass players here plays bass for Walker Hayes and he was on New Year's Rock and Eve and we're like, oh, there's Mark. We know someone who's famous. And then um, flipped over to the Nashville one and one of our other guitar players here plays for Kelsey Ballerini. And we're like, we know two famous people, look, you know? And so uh, we felt special going back and forth and, and um, we're cool by association. You know, I'm just like, I've had lunch with him before. You know? So anyway, so uh, that's what we did. And um, we drink all the sparkling Welches and eat shrimp. I don't know why that's part of our thing too. Anyway, so, okay, so enough about me. Um, we're starting a new book of the Bible this week. And if you have never been with us, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible, go through them line by line, verse by verse. And we've been doing a lot of Paul's stuff recently. I didn't do that necessarily by design, but we went all the way through Romans, recently got all the way through First and Second Thessalonians. And now we're starting another work of Paul's, which is First Corinthians. So, Here's what I hope to do today. Um, we're only gonna make it through half of chapter one because I'm gonna do a brief intro and I'll get to that here in a second. But here's kind of what we're, gonna, what we're gonna aim at today. And if you have never been with us, going through books of the Bible, this particular one was written about 2,000 years ago, not quite 2,000 years, but close to it. It is fascinating to me. The more I read the Bible and teach the Bible, that book seems like it was written last week. It is always relevant. It always hits exactly when it needs to hit, how it needs to hit. And what's going on right now with the world, specifically the United States, you would have think this was written to the church in the United States like, like recently. It is absolutely fascinating how relevant the word of God is. I'm gonna tell you, I'll confess this to you. This is why I still believe in Jesus. Um, sometimes because I'm a very analytical person and I like to research stuff and sometimes doubt can creep into my head, but what keeps me tethered to God is that his word always works. It is always applicable, it always works. And I'm like, well, that just can't be an accident. That can't be a fluke. So it keeps me tethered to God. Here's what we're gonna talk about today. Two things, the first thing is this. If you are a Christian in this room, and, and I'm gonna tell you, even if you're not a Christian, non-Christians, I think, even believe this about Christians. Do we believe that we are to live at a higher standard? That's the first thing, okay? It's the first question. We're gonna tackle it. Doesn't mean we're better than anyone else, but it means that we are to live to a different standard because of the knowledge we have of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God. So anyways, that's the first question. Do we, call, do we feel like we're called to live at a higher standard? The second question is, if we feel like we are called to a higher standard, do we believe that God, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God enables us to live at that standard, that it can pull us up to that standard, okay? Those are the questions we're going to eventually get to at the end of this lesson. We'll get through pretty quick today and hang out a little bit on that thought. So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Has everything I'm gonna say in there. Everything will be on the TVs around the room. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app is extremely helpful. All the scripture and notes are on there. Just click on sermon notes. It's all right there on your phone, which is pretty handy. And if you have a Bible, we're right after the book of Romans. We're in 1 Corinthians and if you have never read 1 Corinthians, it is a fun one. By fun, I mean it's gonna hurt your feelings. So, uh, and that's kind of fun sometimes, it's fun. You just wanna be challenged a little bit. 
it'll successfully call out all of us. So we have, we have that to look forward to. So um, let me pray. <laughs> let me pray, and um, we'll dive into this, and, and we'll see where God takes us, okay? And you guys can go out and enjoy the ridiculous Tennessee weather that we have. <laughs> 74 one day, 24 the next day. Makes sense, right? Anyways, you can go enjoy that tonight. So Lord, we love you, God. We thank you. Lord, thank you for a new year. Thank you for another year, Lord, that we can um, apply ourselves to getting closer to you, learning more about you, God, reaching out to our community. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we have, Lord. God, I pray in this time that we have together today, Lord, I pray that um, our study of the word, that it blesses us, that it encourages us, strengthens us. We pray that it blesses you, God, and makes you proud. So, Lord, we pray for our church because we need help, God. We don't just pray for our church. We pray for every single church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those cities. We pray for the churches that we partner with up in New England. We pray, God, for the churches that we partner with out in Uganda, Africa, and El Salvador. And Father, just all your body all over the world, God, we pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And um, I pray, God, again, that you are honored by our study today, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So let me give you a little bit of history of this before we start this book of the Bible. If you've been here for any length of time, I said this earlier, we've done a lot of Paul's stuff recently. So Paul's kind of an old friend of the experienced community. We've talk, uh, talked about Paul quite a bit. If you have not been here when I've taught one of Paul's letters, just a little bit about him. He was a Jew. He was born near the border of Lebanon, not Lebanon. It's actually pronounced Lebanon. Lebanon in uh, what is modern day Turkey, and he was a Roman citizen. This is important. He was a Jew by birth, but a Roman citizen. And the Roman citizenship gave him a lot of privileges that non-Roman citizens did not have. It's important to know because when you read the book of Acts and when you read the letters of Paul, Paul's Roman citizenship actually got him out of a lot of sticky situations. He could play the I'm a Roman citizen card and it would get him out of certain circumstances. Paul was, was also an extremely educated and intelligent man. That is also important. Paul was a part of the Pharisees. So if you go back and read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Pharisees, the highly intellectual religious order, these are the men that got Jesus arrested by the Roman Empire and crucified by the Roman Empire. They hated Jesus. Paul was once a part of that order until he was dramatically converted in the middle of persecuting Christians. He was on the road to a town called Damascus, was knocked off his horse by Jesus himself and was converted. Jesus says, you're gonna do this. You're gonna suffer for me. You're gonna work for me. And he said, okay, converted to Christianity in about 35 AD. Now, most of Paul's ministry was to non-Jewish people. So not only did these people not have much of a reference to, to the Jewish God, they didn't have much of a reference at all to Jesus Christ. So he was starting completely from scratch with the majority of people that he ministered to. Now, if you've been at this church for any length of time, you've heard me talk about the Roman Empire. I'm fascinated by the Roman Empire. I think the United States has turned into the Roman Empire in a lot of ways, so I'm very intrigued by it. And one of the most audacious Caesars of the Roman Empire was a guy named Nero. He was crazy. Had a lot of very prestigious Christians killed, like Peter, who he had crucified upside down. He had Paul beheaded. This is how Paul died in 68 AD at the hands of Nero. If you've ever heard the term Roman candle on the 4th of July, that came from Nero. He would dip, Roman, uh, he would dip uh, Christians in wax and light them on fire and called them Roman candles. You'll, your 4th of July is forever ruined now. Anyways, um, that's where that term came from. Roman, uh, Nero was a crazy guy. 
and Paul died at the hands of Nero. My kids, so, so I enjoy this kind of, of, of historical stuff. And, and, you know, like last year, my kids at 4th of July were like shooting Roman candles. And I was like, hey, girls, do you know where that? And my wife's like, stop, stop. <laughs> Just let them enjoy this. And I was like, okay, all right, my bad. Okay, so <laughs> a little bit about the setting, the town of Corinth, and I'll show you a map here in a second. This letter was written in the 50s, the OG 50s, 54 to 56 AD, the original 50s. And it was... <laughs> <laughs> it was written on Paul's third missionary journey. And again, I'm gonna show you a map here in a second. He planted this church on his second missionary journey. He wrote this letter to them during his third journey, okay? This, was, this, this church was planted in a Roman province. And again, I'll show you this here in a second. It was a seaport community. Why do we care? We care because there was a ton of diversity, this was not just one kind of person. There was all kinds of different colored people from different backgrounds, from different languages, people who were rich, people who were poor. It was this mix of all walks of life that would have been in this very bustling, fast-paced city. But the church was mostly made up of normal average folks like you and I, kind of salt of the earth, middle class, maybe a little lower, maybe a little upper, but most of them just kind of normal Roman citizens, people like us for the most part. So here's a map. Um, I don't know if you guys enjoy these maps. I like to know where I am in the world when I read these books. So these are different churches that Paul wrote letters to. We have, you know, we just covered First and Second Thessalonians, which is in northeastern Greece. Corinth, if you go straight south of Thessalonica, we have Corinth. If you go east a little bit, you would have Athens, Greece, just for a little bit of reference there. Paul was over in what is modern-day Turkey across the Aegean Sea. That's what separates uh, uh, Greece and Turkey. He was over there in Ephesus, where we get the book of Ephesians, right? And he was writing this letter to the church in Corinth. Just so you know a little bit about where you are, okay? Now, here's the important thing. This is very important. Look how relevant this is. The reason why Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth is the church in Corinth, the Christians had started placing more value on worldly principles, let's just say culture, right? That they started placing more value on the culture of the area they were living in, mainly Greek philosophy, and they were neglecting the word of God. Listen, the Christians in Corinth were reading their Bibles and living this less and getting wrapped up in the culture around them more. And because those things were happening, the church started to divide. There was more sexual perversion, sexual promiscuity. It even got so bad, eventually Paul gets to talking about a guy who was having sex with his mother-in-law and was like, look, even sinners don't do this, guys, right? And he gets on to work. We'll get to that in a couple of chapters. Um, the people were neglecting community and neglecting the outside world. They were abusing the spiritual gifts that God had given them. I'm looking forward to talking about that. They were abusing the different spiritual gifts God had given them, and this all came from they lost a lot of love for God, and because of that, they also lost a lot of love for each other. It became more about themselves than it became about God. That's essentially what was happening. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So, Let's get into this. We're only gonna do 17 verses and, and, and see if you're shocked at just how relevant some of this stuff is. Here we go. Paul writes this. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, 
to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you'll be blameless in the day of our Lord Christ Jesus. God is faithful and you are called by him into a fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, the first thing Paul does, and this is very, 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 very important. Paul says, I am an apostle. Now, the, 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 the kind of short definition of apostle is one commissioned by Jesus to go teach. Now, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. Sometimes this title is still thrown out to this day. You'll see people like, apostles, uh, you know, apostle so-and-so is gonna do this, or I'm the apostle of blah, blah, blah. Now, strictly speaking, right, or, or according to, by definition, an apostle, yes, I am called by Jesus to, to preach, but I don't use the term apostle, and I'll tell you why. Because biblically, the term apostle means someone literally commissioned by Jesus. That means when Jesus was walking the earth, he said, you go out and do this, not just go out and teach the word, you're going to help author what will be the word. That's what biblical apostle is. That's a big deal. So when Paul says he's an apostle, he literally means I met Jesus face to face. Jesus said to do this, not only to go teach, but to help write what will be the commands and instructions of God. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. This is so important because right now we live in a day and age where people are trying to subtract the works of Paul from the New Testament. And the reason why is because no one talks about sin so blatantly as Paul does. But here's the, here's the big problem with removing Paul or trying to remove Paul. A, 70% of the New Testament is gone when you do that. Here's the big problem though. Paul says, I'm an apostle, so therefore my words are God's instructions that you are to live by. So if we remove Paul, there's a problem because in one of Peter's letters, Peter says, do everything Paul tells you. So Peter affirms Paul. So if we remove Paul, logically we also have to remove Peter. Now the problem is, is that Jesus gave Peter all authority of the church before he ascended into heaven. So if you remove Paul, you have to remove Peter. If you remove Peter, you have to remove Jesus and you have nothing left. This is why at the end of your Bible, if you flip to it, it says, do not take any of these words out and do not add any words to it. That's why it says that at the end of your Bible, okay? Oh, poor Sosthenes. He was also a disciple of Paul, a secretary of Paul traveled with Paul, right? Sorry, sustenance. I kind of breezed over you right there. So as Paul begins this letter, he wants to remind the recipients of this letter that they are not just normal people. They're not better than everyone else, but they claim to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. Not only do they belong to God, listen, this is very important. They are the face of God in their area. Church of Murfreesboro, 
Not only do you belong to God, you are God's representative in your geographical area. That is a big deal. That is very special. Because they had been set apart and enriched in him in every way, in all speech, in all knowledge, because they knew how to live, they knew what God expected, they should have been living holy lives. There is a higher standard by which they were called. And so before Paul addresses a laundry list of problems, which is the book of 1 Corinthians, he assures the church that he loves them and that he's thankful for them. This is how you know something's bad, bad is coming, right? When someone walks up to you and you're like, hey, you know I love you, right? And you're like, oh boy. <laughs> Every email I get that start, pastor, you know I love you. And I'm like, here it comes, right? Here it's about to come. So Paul goes, I love you guys. I'm thankful. Not only that, he says, you're very gifted. God has gifted you. He has blessed you. So we're gonna learn that the, the, the Christians in Corinth were very dynamic people. But what happens oftentimes with dynamic people is pride can easily slip in. And when pride slips in, it all goes to hell. It all falls apart. Destruction, chaos ensue. And that's exactly what happened with the Corinthian church. So though the Corinthians had gotten off track, Paul knew that God loved them. And because God had blessed them so much, Paul had hope. We can turn this ship around but he knew it wasn't gonna be just by the hands of the people, right? God is going to have to intervene. But he did tell the people in Corinth, he said, listen, if you keep being flagrant about your sins, if you keep repetitiously turning away from the teachings of God and falling into culture's snare, he goes, over time, that's gonna prove that you don't really have faith at all. And so his hope was not necessarily in the people in the church. His hope was in Jesus Christ that led the church and that if they would just submit to Jesus, it'll turn around, we'll be okay, okay? Now let's get to some of the problems. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say and that there be no divisions among you and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, or Chloe's people, that there is a rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. So the first thing after Paul's greeting, after he says, hey, I love you, I'm thankful for you, Paul turns his attention to the first problem that we're gonna deal with in 1 Corinthians, that instead of the Christians in Corinth loving each other and serving each other, the church had divided into factions and they thought they were superior to the other segments of Christianity around them. One group of Christians down the street thought they were better than another group of Christians down the street because maybe their music was louder or maybe that's us, right? Or because they didn't have music at all and they didn't use musical instruments. Or maybe because they dress a certain way or they teach a certain way and there started to be this competition amongst the believers. Now listen, whenever people read this, the first place that they go is, this is why denominations are evil. Now we're non-denominational and I have nothing, but here's the thing, I have nothing against denominations. 
I'm very good friends with Pastor Brady over at New Vision. Very good friends with him. He's a very sarcastic man, if you ever get to know Pastor Brady very well. I'm very good friends with, with Pastor David Young over at North Boulevard. I had lunch with Pastor Allen over at World Outreach just a couple of weeks ago. I'm very, very good friends with Father Finley over at St. Patrick's Anglican Church. We had lunch about two weeks ago. We're very good friends. Friends with all of these individuals. Now, here's the thing. We're all gonna find tribes because that's humanity. You're gonna naturally gravitate to people that like similar things that you like. You probably come to this church because you like to come casual, right? Probably because you like the loud music and, and maybe you like expository teaching. We like similar things, okay? And that's, that's okay, there's nothing evil about that. The problem is, is when we become arrogant and think that we're superior to the Christians down the street. That's when there becomes a problem, a division amongst us. I'm gonna tell you, there is no division between me, Brady, Alan, and, and David. We all get along great. We pray for each other's churches. Those are the four biggest churches in this county, and we get along very, very well, and that's fine. So Paul respectfully, but forcibly, appeals to the church to agree with each other on major doctrinal issues. There should, be no, there should be no division amongst you. You should be united in your understanding and conviction. So here's the thing. We can disagree on things that are non-essential, on minor issues. Um, so again, St. Patrick's is very liturgical. I don't wanna worship like that every week. That church loves worshiping like that. That's fine. We still believe in the same Jesus. We still believe in the same core doctrines. There's no big differences there. Again, North Boulevard doesn't do music. We do very loud music. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We can agree to disagree on that. But there are major doctrinal issues that we must agree on. And we'll get to those a little bit later in this. So Paul heard from a woman named Chloe, that we know very little about, that there were these divisions, right? These, these factions that had started. Now, we know very, very little about Chloe, but what we can infer about Chloe is she must have been a pretty special woman. She must have been very influential in the church. She must have been very respected in the community because she alerted Paul about these factions, and that must have been such a big deal that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. So this woman was a very influential, she, she had people, right? Chloe's people. Who can say that? Hey, just my people, right? <laughs> Chloe had her people, so she was a big deal. Now, this is a subtle reminder of the progressive nature of the Bible when it comes to women. Women were extremely influential in the early church. They're still extremely influential today. So we see, not only do we see that women are extremely influential, and that there is a special insight that God often gives women that men don't have. Women often see things in a way that men don't. My wife and I's good friend, Hannah Sims, calls it man eyes. You ever heard of man eyes? Man eyes is when a man opens up the cupboard and the peanut butter is right there, right? <laughs> a foot and a half away, eye level, and a husband says, where is the peanut butter? I can't find the peanut butter. And your wife is sitting there reading a magazine and she goes, it's right in front of you. And you're like, no, it's not here. And then she gets up from the couch. <laughs> this has never happened to me. I'm talking about some of you other men, right? <laughs> she gets up off the couch and she grabs the peanut butter that is right in front of your eyes, right? Man eyes. Sometimes, oftentimes, women have a way of seeing things that men don't. And so we have this woman, Chloe, that saw something and she alerted Paul about it. Now, here's the thing. See if this sounds familiar. The heart of the divisions in the church in Corinth was based on the fact that people claimed an allegiance more to a celebrity pastor than they did Jesus. What they did is they found their identity in a famous speaker. And they said, I follow Paul. 
I know him personally. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, that's Peter, right? I follow these individuals. Now, here's the thing. There was nothing wrong with the individuals. There was nothing wrong with Paul or Apollos or Peter. But what they did is the people made more about the men than they did about Jesus. And they claimed their allegiance more to a church or a group or a tribe than they did to Jesus. That was the problem. Now, so some people said, well, I follow this guy, I follow this guy, I follow this guy, I love this one. And then one group said, I don't follow any man, I just follow Jesus. We all have this pretentious Christian friend, don't we? <laughs> I don't go to church, I just follow Jesus. That's not biblical. Nowhere in the Bible will you see support for not going to church. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 says that you should go to church more and more and more until Jesus' uh, uh, second coming gets closer and closer. We need the church. There is balance in all of this. The more I read the Bible, the more you find balance because God is balanced. The balance between the two views is this, is we need human leadership. We need shepherds, we need patriarchs, we need matriarchs, we need mentors, we need brothers and sisters to hold us accountable. We need people in our lives to help us. Paul even goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me is what Paul is saying. We need human leadership, but we must also know that all human leadership has limitations. And ultimately, our hope is found in Jesus, right? So I hope you have men and women in your life that you're like, I wanna live more like them. But ultimately, the reason why we wanna live more like them is they live more like Jesus. It is all about Jesus, but we need human leadership. It is foolish to say that we don't need matriarchs, patriarchs, shepherds, leaders in our life. That is very, very foolish, okay? And it's not biblical. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did in fact baptize the household of Stephanus or Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Look, this is very important. Not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. I'll explain that here in a second. Now, this is, this is kind of a um, um, very graphic analogy that Paul uses. But Paul says, is Christ crucified? What he means is, when Christ was or divided, when Christ was crucified, he said they didn't chop his body up into pieces. So when Jesus was resurrected, he wasn't in pieces, he wasn't divided, he was one body. Just like Jesus resurrected as one body, Paul is saying the church should be one body. Not only that, Jesus is part of the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's three persons that are represented as one God. There's one God. And what we see is God is perfect, harmonious community. And I know we're not gonna be perfect and harmonious, but we are to strive to be a harmonious community as the church. Was Christ divided? No, neither should his body be. The second thing that Paul brings up is he says, was I crucified for you? Did I save you? Now listen, Paul loved them, Paul led them, but Paul made it clear, I'm not your savior. This is why no one is baptized in any other name except for the name of Jesus, because there is no other name under heaven and earth by which we can be saved except for the name of Jesus. So again, shepherds are vitally important. 
This is why I have such a strong relationship with David Young over at North Boulevard. He's, he's almost 20 years older than me. And I see him as a shepherd in my life. I see him as someone that I can look up to and strive to be more like. We all need that. But no human can spiritually save another human. So what is our job? And listen, you don't have to be a pastor to be a shepherd. Every single one of you in this room on some level will be a shepherd. All of you will lead someone at some time, whether it be your kids, whether it be your spouse, whether it be a friend, all of you. If we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're supposed to be disciple makers, right? So we're to be shepherds in some regard. Here is the thing though. When we shepherd people, we are to not put the emphasis on us. We are to lead people to the good shepherd, the savior, the one that can save them, continue to disciple them, and baptize them in the only name that can save them. That is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? They were to baptize, teach, and disciple. That's what we are called to do. And it's not about us, it's about Jesus. So here's the thing, some people read what Paul wrote. Paul said, I'm, I, I kinda think it's funny. Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. And then he goes, oh yeah, except for Crispus and Gaius. And then there was that other house. <laughs> so he did baptize quite a few people. Paul is not anti-baptism. A lot of people read this and they go, see, I told you, you don't have to get baptized. That's not what Paul's saying at all. You have completely missed the point if that's what you pick up from that, from that passage. What Paul was saying is, he goes, I'm happy I didn't baptize any of you because you would have made it about me. And it's not about me. And so this is what, look, look at how different Paul was from a lot of modern day pastors right now in the United States. Paul would have thrown up at the fact that pastors have myname.com or myNameMinistries.com or all about me and videos of these guys with perfect teeth like doing their things and hey, come to our church and all this garbage, I almost said a bad word, all this garbage, right? <laughs> Not like a real bad word, just kind of a crass word, I'm sorry. Just, just for clarity there. Paul, Paul, though, continually deflected the attention. Paul said, it's not about me. I'm glad I didn't baptize a bunch of you because you would have made me a rock star. I don't wanna be a rock star. Paul wanted to deflect that. Nowadays, you have all these celebrity pastors. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. No, 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 we are servants, right? We're just shepherds. And so just like Jesus delegated baptism to his disciples, Paul delegated baptism to the people that he trained up and led in the hopes that they would train up more people. And that's how it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Less about us, more about Christ, more about making disciples. That's what Paul did. So he goes, I'm glad that I'm not getting all this attention. Now, this is very important. Some of your translations say fancy words. Paul said his job was to preach the gospel without eloquent wisdom so that the cross will not be emptied of its effect. Now, this is very, very important. What Paul was saying is, I am just here to present the word of God to you. I'm not here to add in my catchy slogans. I'm not here to add in a fancy sermon title. I'm not here to, uh, to offer you some kind of like cheesy, um, you know, night at the movies, let's watch Star Wars and talk about how Luke Skywalker's kind of like Jesus, though he turns out to be a big wuss. And so we talk about these things. <laughs> Paul was saying, Paul was saying that I'm just here to present to you the gospel and the gospel is good enough on its own. It doesn't need my words. It doesn't need my elaboration, my eloquent wisdom or my fancy words. And we have missed this nowadays. 
we have a lot of churches now that think that if we can just kind of like create some better way of packaging the Bible that we can sell it, and the Bible doesn't need us to sell it, it sells itself. It presents itself just fine. And so, again, we are blessed in this county because we have a lot of churches that do a great job of reading and teaching the word, and we need more and more of that. Less of us in the mix and just more of the word of God because it stands on its own. And here's the problem. What Paul is saying is this. Listen, this is very, very important. The more of myself that I insert into, let's say, a sermon, right? If I try to come up with sermon, you know, catchy sermon titles and, you know, catchy, goofy, 50 shades of grace and all this garbage that people do, right? When I try to do stuff like that, what Paul is, you'd be surprised how many churches did it. What Paul is saying is, the more we make it about how clever we are, it empties the cross of its power. That's what Paul says. The more we talk about ourselves and the less we teach the word, the less ability the cross has to have an effect on us. What is the effect of the cross? The effect of the cross is that we have salvation by no other means but the blood that was shed on that cross. We're not saved by a, a, a pastor's fancy words or by eloquent wisdom of the world, we're saved by this very graphic display of Jesus being crucified on a cross, that he shed his blood for us. What the effect of the cross tells us and what it helps us be reminded of is that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. No amount of human intellect or quote unquote wisdom can save us. It is only by the cross of Jesus Christ. So salvation comes from a relationship with Jesus, and a relationship with Jesus begins with us acknowledging that the blood that was shed on the cross was our atonement. That's a very fancy word for that blood paid our debt. It forgave our sin. It gave us the ability to be reconciled with our creator. That is the effect of the cross. And the more we insert ourselves in there, the less it becomes about the effect of the cross and the more it becomes about us. And that's bad. That's a bad thing. So here's the thing. We began with a question, and I'm gonna answer it right at the beginning of, of this kind of concluding part. Are we called to live at a higher standard? We absolutely are. That is the thesis of the book of 1 Corinthians, is that you are called to a greater standard of living than what you are living at. So if we claim to be Christians, I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, if you're not a Christian in here, and if you get into the word of God, give your life to Jesus, there is a high standard by which we are called to live. Now, let me tell you how good God is. God is good because the standard by which we are to live is not ambiguous. It is written right here in black and white. Sometimes in red and white, which means directly from the mouth of Christ himself. We are given a very clear outline and instruction on how we are to live. Not only are we given clear outlines on how we are to live, God has given us a wonderful thing called conviction, which means that if we are driving off a cliff, God reaches down and grabs that wheel and tries to steer you the other way. The problem is this. I can't tell you how many emails we have gotten over the years that say, I am leaving your church because I hate feeling conviction. Conviction is a blessing, my friends. If I am driving off a cliff and I feel God trying to steer me the other way, I don't smack his hand and say, it's my steering wheel. 
I don't wanna drive off a cliff. God, I ask you every time I get off, off the track, please grab the steering wheel. Please convict me. Listen, please make me feel nauseous in my stomach when I am living in a way that I'm not supposed to be living. Here's the thing about conviction. God does not condemn us. The Bible says Jesus did not come to bring condemnation, but to liberate us from condemnation. And he does that through conviction. He tells us we're off track. It's that sick feeling, right? And whenever people send an email and say, I'm tired of feeling conviction, I just say, stop sinning. That's a simple solution, right? Don't get mad at God that he's trying to tell you that you're going the wrong way. Just stop going the wrong way. Praise God that not only he tells us how to live, but he gives us that feeling when we're not on the right track. That is a good thing. Here's the thing, God is also gracious. God knows you're going to mess up. God knows you're going to mess up. But listen, if we will be humble, and go back to Jesus when we mess up and ask God to forgive us of our sins, the power of the Holy Spirit will enable us to live righteous lives. Paul says in chapter one, blameless lives on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be able to stand in front of Jesus. We have not been perfect, but we have been submissive to God. We have asked for God to forgive us. When we make mistakes, we run back to him so we can stand in front of Jesus on the day of judgment and be blameless. One, are we called to live at a high standard? Absolutely. Two, can you do it? Yes. If you walk in a relationship with Jesus, you can live at the standard God wants you to live at, right? Follow the Bible, listen to that discernment and that feeling that God gives you of conviction. It's a good thing. The second thing we talked about today is when it comes to other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we have to be united on the majors. We can disagree on minor issues, but listen, this might offend someone. We cannot fellowship with people that claim to be believers but disagree on the major doctrinal issues of the faith. This is not an exhaustive list, but these are the big ones that I could think about. I cannot fellowship with someone that claims to be a Christian but does not believe Jesus is exclusively the only pathway to heaven. That sounds really harsh, but I can't do it. I can't do it. The exclusivity of Jesus is a big deal. And unfortunately, I hear a lot of people who claim to be Christians that say, well, there are many spokes to the same center of the wheel, and that is absolutely not biblical. You have never read the words of Jesus in the book of Matthew if you believe that. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, that no one gets to the Father except through me. In John chapter 10, John chapter 10 says that no one gets in to where the sheep are. No one gets into the pen unless the gatekeeper opens the gate. Jesus goes on later to say, I am the gatekeeper. He also says, I am the shepherd. I'm the one that leads you in and I'm the, way that I'm the one that opens the door. We have to agree on Jesus is exclusive. He's exclusive. We have to agree on the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was resurrected on the third day. If there is no cross, there is no Christianity. And there are a lot of people who say, well, I think Jesus was just a really, really good dude, but he wasn't divine. I don't know if you think pathological liars are good people. I typically don't. And if you think that a guy walked around claiming to heal people and saying that he was God, was a good person, deceived a lot of people, and in fact, 11 of his 12 disciples were violently murdered, if you think that was a good guy, we have a different definition of what good is. Lord, liar, or lunatic. C.S. Lewis wrote it, right? He has to be one of the three, and I believe he's Lord. We have to agree on the cross. We have to agree on the resurrection. 
We also have to agree that there is sin and that humanity needs to repent for sin. Like I said earlier, the reason why so many people wanna pull out the workings of Paul right now is no one speaks as blatantly about sin and repentance as Paul does. That we are to ask God's forgiveness for sin. There is right and wrong. Baptism, discipleship, the church, serving the community, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, these are things that we have to come to an agreement on. Now, here's the thing. We will never get unity completely right this side of heaven. There will always be denominations. There will always be different groups. There will always be disagreements about minor issues, but the major issues we have to get right. So our goal, we're talking about us. If you come to this church, here's what we want to strive to do with other Christians from other, other groups of Christians in this, in this community. We wanna unite on the majors. We wanna show grace. If some people think that, that using instruments is wrong, don't fight over that. That's a waste of your time. If they love Jesus and you love Jesus, you guys can settle it in heaven when we're all playing harps, the book of Revelation says. Anyways, you can settle that in heaven. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that. We'll edit that out. <laughs> but we are to show grace and not be competitive with other churches in our community. We're doing a fast right now. We're about to start a fast with North Boulevard Church of Christ. Very different church than us. We're gonna do a 40-day fast with them. We've done worship nights with New Vision. We get along with other churches. We are united. Here's the problem with Christianity in the United States, and it has been for a long time, unfortunately. We've been so concerned about fighting with our other brothers and sisters about non-essential issues that we forget to tell other people that don't know Jesus about Jesus. We're so busy arguing about Calvinism and Arminianism that we forgot that that guy's addicted to porn and going to hell. And we're fighting about stupid 500-year theology that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But that's what we're busy fighting about. And we have not made disciples, we have not baptized, and we have not taught, and we wonder why the church is shrinking at alarming rates in the United States. Because we're so busy trying to up the church down the street that we're not even winning the lost anymore. It's really, really stupid, and it's not right. So here's the thing. As we start a new year, I wanna ask you, and I want you to really think about it for a second. Do we honestly believe the teachings and principles of that book work? I'm gonna confess something to you, and I'm being completely honest. I'm not trying to sound dramatic. What keeps my faith intact is that this book always works. I'm a very analytical person. And even when it comes to Paul, right, I can ask a bunch of questions and I'm like, uh, but the bottom line is everything that Paul wrote works. It works. And what keeps me tethered to Jesus is that the more I apply these words to my life, the more it always works. What are the chances that several dozen people over thousands of years could put together a collection of work that has no contradiction, that every teaching in it works? Yes. It's impossible. Do we believe that though? Do we believe the teachings of that book work? And now listen, it's very easy for us to say, yes, 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 Corey, I believe it. But what happens is this. What happens is we'll go home after this and some of you will turn on Fox or you'll turn on CNN or you'll turn on NPR or you'll turn on 99.7 or some of you will get on TikTok or some of you will get on Facebook and the wisdom of the world will start to detract you from the wisdom that is the word of God, true wisdom. And we start falling back into the traps 
Listen, let me say this next line and I'll get to it. If we apply the teachings of the Bible to our lives, they will not only change us, they will change those around us. You will raise your kids differently. Your kids will be different. If you live out the word of God and teach the word of God to them, your marriage will be different. Do you believe Ephesians chapter five? If every man in this room loved their wife like Jesus loves you, and if every woman in this room respected her husband, you'd have a great marriage. If we all applied those very simple teachings from Ephesians chapter five, they work, do we believe it? The key though is this, listen. The key is, do we trust God? Do we trust his word? Do we trust the Holy Spirit in us to do the work in our life for us? That it's not about us. That's why Jesus even said to his disciples when they said, Jesus, we don't know what to say when people ask us hard questions. He says, just ask the Holy Spirit and he'll give you the words to say that it's all about letting Jesus do the work in us. Paul is gonna go on in 1 Corinthians to say this. Our job is simply this. Plant the seed, water the seed, God makes it grow. All we are called to do is plant the seed, that's faith in Christ, water it, pray, read the word of God. And if we will do that, if we will plant the seed and water it, God will make things happen. God will change our family dynamics. I don't know what's gonna happen in 2022. We always say this year's gonna be better. 2021 proved that that is bull, right? <laughs> it's not always better, is it? Sometimes it's much worse. But listen, I can't control what's going on in politics and the economy and the world. I can't control that. But I can control what I do with my time. And if I plant and water the seed of a relationship with God, I have contentment regardless of what's going on in the world around me. Yes. Is it easy? No. But God gives us peace in the middle of that chaos. So let me go back to my previous point. Here though is the temptation we have to make sure we don't fall to. Is we'll leave this place, yes, I believe the word. I'm gonna pray more, I'm gonna read the word, I'm gonna apply those things to my life. And then you get on that social media and you're like, why is everyone having more fun than me? Why is everyone better looking than me? Why, why, do you know the word Facebook is in one out of three divorce papers nowadays? Did you guys know that? Well, now TikTok has surpassed Facebook, so that's probably in more divorce papers right now. I can't tell you, there have been multiple couples that have come to me and said that TikTok is the reason why they're getting a divorce. Because people are addicted. Because people think that this is somehow real life. As Paul goes on in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says the wisdom of the world is foolishness. Boy, was Paul ever right. Was Paul ever right? That we watch the news. It's, I shouldn't go down that road. When we watch the news and we see all the things that are happening and the fear porn that they try to sell you and everything is falling apart and everyone's a racist and everyone hates you and everyone's trying to kill each other and all this stuff. And then you go out and you're like, everyone's, it's not that bad, right? And if we will learn to see people the way God wants us to see people, not to see people the way that the news wants you to see people. If we will go back to the wisdom that is the word and not get sucked in to this vortex of the world's wisdom that the Bible says is foolishness. It is foolishness. Guys, when you get on social media and you look at people, are you not like, this is foolishness? These are grown butt adults, right? <laughs> that drive their cars down the highway 
videotaping themselves with their kids in the back talking about nothing. And if Paul was alive, he'd go, you want to be that? That's foolishness. You would exchange the wisdom that is in this book for what you watch on MSNBC or Fox or CNN? You would exchange the wisdom that is contained in the word of God for the wisdom of the world? And the church in Corinth would say, if you do, you're in for a pretty hard road. It's gonna get really, really bad. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and you're not a believer, really, really glad you're here. If you're in this room and you're not a believer, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike is up here. If you have any questions about God, about Jesus, about this church, about anything you'd like to ask, we're not afraid of questions. If you're genuinely seeking answers, we'll do our best to get you those answers, okay? Pastor Mike is up here if you wanna talk to him. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage if you need prayer for anything in your life absolutely anything, come and get prayer. The last thing is, is all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, we have the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus, communion. If you have given your life to Jesus and if you have asked God to forgive you of your sins, everyone is welcome to get communion. You can go back to your seat, take it by yourself with a friend, with a family member, however you feel comfortable taking that. Okay, I wanna pray for you though. Father, God, I pray for all of us in this room. God, because the temptation and the allure of the world is strong, I pray, God, for all of us that you protect our minds, that you protect our hearts, God. Lord, I pray that you keep us away from that temptation, God, that you deliver us from evil, Father, that you keep us close to you, Lord. Let us not only learn from your word, but Lord, let us apply the principles and teachings from your word, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. And Lord, we live in a very chaotic, very chaotic country right now. But Lord, you have called us to be the salt and the light. So Lord, I pray that we can live at the standard that you want us to live at, God. Not by our work, God, but by your work and by your power, Lord, that we can be what you want us to be. Protect my brothers and sisters in this room. Keep them strong till we meet again. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.